Welcome back to the Transforming Cities podcast. Each episode highlights ideas around rethinking the way cities are evolving. We discuss planning, design, technology, development, and other fields that contribute to the urban experience. On this episode, we're speaking with JC Buck, a Denver-based architectural photographer. I understand the reality of sometimes this has to start out as a side hustle and total respect for that. But as soon as you can get rid of your main job, dump it because it's so hard to be half pregnant. It's so hard to be half committed to anything in any business and especially a business like photography, which is, you know, like so many industries, extremely saturated and competitive. JC is most fascinated with photographing public architecture from historic, mainly mid-century modern and brutalist buildings to cutting edge modern engineering marvels of today's most advanced structures. He splits his time between client commissions and self-assigned work. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Let's jump right in. JC, thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Hi, Chris. It's good to be here. So when we first met, you mentioned that you grew up and lived in Brussels, of all places, until you were about 10 years old. What sort of impact did that have on your own worldview as a young person? Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, as an early age in the early eighties, my family was relocated to Brussels, Belgium. My, my dad's work. My sister and I went to an international school, international school of Brussels, where we were exposed to our friends and classmates were from all over the world. I mean, I had friends from Japan and India and England, South Africa, America. Mm-hmm. And then we, as a family, we traveled extensively. We were on the road almost every weekend, exploring Europe, going to these different cities, these different countries, you know, being exposed to different languages. So as a very young kid, I was exposed to the diversity of the world. I was exposed to, you know, the looks of different cities, uh, different people, different languages. I think for both my sister and I, I mean, especially me, because I'm, I'm a little bit older than her. So I was a little bit older at that time. I think it, it has a lot to, to do with my, my interest in learning and studying and observing and hence now working as a photographer. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, when we when we think about your photography career, it's it's interesting because you have become so well known for some of the niche photography that you've been working on recently. We'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, most people probably wouldn't know though that you actually spent quite a bit of time in the healthcare industry, sales and marketing. Yeah, how did you end up there? Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, it's funny, and, and especially nowadays, you know, people will. When they find that out, they're like, how did you go from that world to, to this world? It's such a drastic shift. But, you know, I was a creative kid. I was into art. I was into photography. I was into architecture. But as I got into high school and as I got to that age where you start looking at university and college and where to go and what you're going to study, I kind of abandoned those interests. And mainly because I felt studying business, you know, I felt it would be easier to make a living or I'd be better at it. You know, my father was a businessman, highly, you know, influenced by him and inspired by his opinion and, and mindset. And so I went off to college and, and studied business. I got a business degree, concentration in marketing. And when I graduated in 2002, the job market was, was terrible. It was very competitive. So I was applying with all kinds of companies for jobs. And at that point, it seemed like it was only sales jobs mm-hmm. that, that were available and having a marketing degree. And I landed in the health insurance industry. I was one of of a small group. There were 16 of us new recruits that got into a sales and marketing role 
with United Healthcare, one of the industry's largest companies. And that kind of kicked off a 10-year career in that industry, doing various sales and marketing roles. And during that time, kind of in my late 20s, I went back and, and got an MBA. And so I was still focused in the business world and big business and whatnot. So that's that's kind of how I got into that into that industry. Looking back now, would you change anything? No, not at all. That experience, there's no doubt it has helped me today in running a photography business. Now, it, I could look back and say, oh, you know, I wish I would have gone to photography school or I wish I would have started earlier. Those things that those are things that I dreamt about that I wanted to do back then. But I just don't think that way. Mm. You know, I don't I don't think in regrets or look to the past. So yeah, no. Well, we're recording right now in in Denver where we both live. You grew up kind of all over, mm-hmm. a lot of time in Europe. Mm-hmm. Was this job in, in Europe or, or where in the States was this kind of this first leg of your career? Yeah, so my, my college, I started college in Boston. I did my first year out there. I transferred back to Minnesota where uh, I went through junior high and high school and whatnot. And so I got my degree in Minnesota. And then I started in, my, in the corporate world in Atlanta, Georgia. So I got hired down there. Worked in Atlanta, then I went down to Fort Lauderdale, spent five years in Fort Lauderdale, and then relocated out here. Mm. And shortly after relocating out here, I came out here in, in 2007. 2013 is when I drastically left the corporate world and shifted into what I'm doing mm. now. So, yeah, so I moved around a little bit with that industry. I was going to say, yeah. there's a little bit of moving around there. Yeah. So kind of looking back at sort of that first leg of your career, I, I coined it now, we're talking about the first leg, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Right as that was transitioning into this next phase of your career, what happened at that moment? I think you, I think you called it a moment of clarity. Yeah. But what yeah. was that time period for you? Yeah, so, you know, to be clear, those, those were good years too, you know, and, and I was doing well in that space. I was climbing, I was, I was performing. Uh, there was, there was great money. I was making great money. And I, you know, sometimes I missed the money of the corporate world, but I kept searching. Yeah. I got back to business school and I was starting to think more entrepreneurial. Uh, this is MBA school in my late twenties. And I, I think for me, the, the work was just, it, it was, it wasn't feeding my soul. There was something missing. I just, you know, people talk a lot about following your passion. I wasn't passionate about the work. And into my early 30s, I started to become kind of very frustrated with my work. And it wasn't until I started dating my partner today, of today, Liz Richards, who is an amazing entrepreneur. She is a real estate agent here in Denver. I'm so proud of her. Last year, she was ranked number two in individual sales wow. for the entire market. Yeah, shout I out mean, Liz. Yeah, shout out to Liz. So she's yeah. just phenomenal. But I was sitting with her, and we were out on the patio, and I was telling her, "This is this is 2013," and I said, "You know, I'm just not really happy with what I'm doing. I, I, I feel stuck." And she said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I I, I really had no idea. I didn't know. But at that point, I, I, I just, I said to her, I, you know, I want to make a contribution and I want it to be of value. I'm not really driven by money. I'm more driven by meaning and what it is that I'm doing. And she started listing out idea after idea after idea and, and starting out with, you know, you should consider being a realtor. 
I said, oh, I hate realtors. <laughs> and, and she, what? And I go, oh, no, just kidding. But I, I said, no, I'd be a terrible realtor. Because, you know, I'm very, I'm actually very much an introverted person. I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I can turn it on if I need to. And, and that was what, that was part of my struggle in those years because I worked in sales and marketing. So I was in a very extroverted role, mm. you know, my, my job capacity. I was in meetings all the time. I was at events. I was public speaking. All things that were of high anxiety, yeah. creating a lot of anxiety. Although areas that I, I performed at and I did well at, but it wasn't comfortable. It was exhausting. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit too because yeah. I, I come from the same, you know, I'm, I'm certainly more introverted, but I can turn it on. And yeah. there are things that I'm successful at when I'm, when I'm on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've learned this, I've learned this, that it really is an important thing to, to tap into and understand about yourself because yeah. it does tie back to that, to that happiness. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so we were having this amazing conversation. It was a summer evening, June 2013, and she's listing out all these ideas and I'm being very negative. I'm saying no to everything. And she says, you know, you love your photography. And so photography has been a, an obsession, a hobby. I was introduced to photography in high school through a darkroom film class, 35 millimeter. And at that point I dreamt about being a photographer, but I would instantly discount it as a potential career thinking, oh, I, I wouldn't be able to make money or I'm not good enough you know, whatever. And she then said, you also love architecture. So if I'm going to back up a little further into my life as a child, I wanted to be an architect. I was the kid that played with Legos, designed little cities and built structures. And I would sit out and sketch our house and make sketch of, you know, make-believe buildings and whatnot. And would be obsessed with, you know, like I said, growing up in Europe and going to all these cities. And I would just look at all the, all the buildings, old and new. She said, you know, as a realtor, we're struggling to find good photographers or available photographers. It's Denver, this crazy growing market to, to photograph real estate listings. And boom, this moment of clarity that, that you mentioned right there. I thought, oh, my God, the perfect business idea is staring me right in the face. This is perfect for me. Combine what I love about photography with architecture and the built environment mm. and create a business out of it where there's where there's a need. So I was pumped. I was so excited. And over the next two weeks, I researched like crazy. I mean, this is the beautiful thing about the times we're living in. You can learn anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm online. I'm learning all about the industry, the different business models out there. And two weeks later, you know, we're getting into July now. I decide that's it. I'm going to go for this. And I chose to not talk to anybody about it. I didn't talk to my friends. I didn't go out and pick the brain of other photographers. You know, I didn't do the, hey, can we grab coffee? I want to, I, I didn't do any of that. I didn't talk to my parents and talk to colleagues. I was so nervous that because I was so excited about this, I was nervous that people would, you know, shoot, shoot me down, play devil's advocate. What are you thinking? I was doing really well in my business career. You know, you're going to leave that. So the two people that helped me make this decision was Liz, who I mentioned. And then at that time, I was working with a business coach, which I highly recommend you know, for, for people to, to engage a business coach. So helpful. His name's Bill Roth, local guy here in Denver. Wonderful man. And I told him. And my big hurdle was money. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that if I was going to go start this business, I wouldn't be making the kind of money that I had been making for a while or potentially, you know, ever, who knows? I mean, it was a, it's a different business model. And so I asked him, I said, I'm thinking of cashing in a significant amount of my 401k. 
you know, how crazy and is going that? for it. And, and he said, that's what it's there for. Yeah. And it shocked me as a business coach that, that he said that. And so that really enabled me having Liz's support. And then all of a sudden, almost this permission to take some of this money that I had earned over, over the years to help me get started. And I knew I could focus immediately on building this business. I could go all in, you know, not try and moonlight it or not try and do it on the side. One thing that I, I talk to people when I, you know, several people now reach out to me to kind of pick my brain about how I started in photography. And I tell them every time, I understand the reality of sometimes this has to start out as a side hustle and total respect for that. But as soon as you can get rid of your main job, dump it because it's so hard to be half pregnant. It's so hard to be half committed to anything Mm. in any business and especially a business like photography, which is, you know, like so many industries, extremely saturated and competitive. You got to be all in. So that, that was the start, Mm. you know, and that was that moment of clarity. And that's, it's been six years. This July will be my six year anniversary. And I have found the work that I love to do and, you know, if it's up to me, I'll do this the, the rest of my life. Work as a photographer. Yeah, that's amazing. And, yeah. and in Denver, of all, of all places. And yeah, one thing that you mentioned to me, which I want to touch on, is when you first actually got to Denver. Yeah, we arrived here around the same time. Oh seven, oh six, oh seven range. Yeah, and I think we were both trying to figure it out at the time. And you actually told me you didn't really like Denver yeah. back, <laughs> back yeah, then. That's right. I mean, so much has changed in yeah. the city. If anyone's familiar with Denver at this point, but but why didn't you like it back then? Yeah. So, and it was a surprise that I didn't like it because as, as a kid, I grew up coming out here for ski trips with the family. Another little, another thing about my background is both my sister and I competitively ski raced through college. So living in Colorado, you would think would be a dream for a guy like me, but I'd been down South for so long. And I I come from Florida to Denver and I moved here in February of 07 and if you remember, it was shortly after some record snowfalls. That was a that was a tough first winter yeah. for, for me too. Yeah, and, and and but when I got here, there wasn't snow on the ground, you know. And growing up in Minnesota, I mean, I'm no stranger to snow, but coming from lush green South Florida, where it's just clean and pristine and you know sunny and beautiful, and and I'm actually a unique person who loves humidity. <laughs> I come here and it's dry, and my skin's cracking, and the roads are dirty as can be. And then quite frankly, the city just didn't interest me. I, I, I felt like it was the aesthetic didn't feel attractive to me. The architecture, the buildings. I mean, this was before I even, you know, was really thinking about architecture the way I do now. But I just, I wasn't moved by the city. Culturally, it was a bit of a culture shock. It didn't feel diverse compared to what I was coming from. Um, the creative community, while I'm sure it's been here all along, I wasn't really exposed to it that first year. So there's just a number of things. I, I was kind of really bummed out mm. about this move. Like, what have I done? To add to it, the real story of how I got out here was through a relationship. And that relationship, one we were excited about while well, it was long distance, then I got here and it went downhill very quickly. <laughs> and like like those types of relationships usually do. Uh, yeah. And you know, one moves moves around the country for another. And so after a year of being here, and, and I'd worked with the same company, I had requested this relocation and I I left a market where I was doing very well in and and requested to come out here. And so I come out here. And a year later, I'm like, what have I done? I I want to move back. But there was a part of me that didn't want to admit 
failure because I viewed it as a, as a failure. So I thought, I'm going to give the city one more year. And I moved and moved into the riverfront community. And I met a whole new group of people and things just started to click. And I like to say, you know, I've experienced the most personal growth over the last 10 years in my life. And I've grown along with this city. Mm. So Denver is just, I feel, has really blossomed and grown. We've seen the food and beverage scene become one of the best in the country. I mean, it's just phenomenal. The creative community inspires me daily. It's unbelievable. You know, the people like yourself, the people that I'm meeting, the conversations I'm having, the friendships I've made, this place has become home. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it here. I love, the, I love the city. I love the state. I'm with everybody. There are challenges to the growth. There's no question. And there's things that I don't like, and there's things I struggle with, with the change. But I have to admit, with how much the city has grown over the last 10 years, you have to give Denver, the city of Denver, some credit for for doing a pretty darn good job in managing it. Now, we have a lot of areas to improve. Absolutely, yeah. A lot. And, yeah. and, and I'm not discounting that, and I'm not you know, looking past that. I mean, I feel it with my own, my own rent. You know, I feel it driving around. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that there, you got to take the, the bad. There's going to be bad with the good. Yeah. And, yeah. and Denver has had its seasons of bad and it's had its seasons of good. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm right, right along next to you with, you know, personally and professionally over the last 10 years, kind of grown up yeah. with the city. And that's a really cool story to tell. And that's a really cool, you know, piece of history to have. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're so connected to one place. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, let's let's jump into some more discussion around your work. Yeah, for it. So I know that you started out very production minded, yeah, sure. production mm-hmm. studio minded. Ultimately, you sort of landed in this soloist position with mm-hmm. with the with the business. But talk to us about how kind of one led into the other. Maybe what came before. Yeah. Why did you decide to do the production studio first? And yeah, then yeah. now you've ended up in a more solo soloist sure. position. Yeah. So a few things going on there. You know, I came from with my background being business and in, in, in terms of academic, you know, in my studies and then in my work career for the first 10 years through my 20s and early 30s, everything was focused on, on big business. And as I got into my late 20s and went back to get an MBA, and I got I went back for an MBA because I you know, I wanted to start thinking of different ways or different areas I could go in business, but didn't really know what that meant at that point. So the MBA kind of seemed like the next logical step. And so I did that while I was working. But while I was in my MBA, I started to become obsessed with entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship up to that point really hadn't been on my mind. You know, when I studied in undergrad or when I was working for United Healthcare or working within the corporate world, I wasn't thinking like an entrepreneur or working you know, starting a company. But I, I, and while I was in grad school, I became kind of obsessed with that and very interested in it. Little side note, I actually submitted a business plan to the business plan competition here at CU and was awarded third place. There you go. Competition. Yeah. Congrats. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was at a time where, you know, we, we were talking, you know, offline about bike commuting and infrastructure and whatnot. And it was at a time right before bike share kind of came out. And I was really fascinated by multimodal transportation. And some of this was influenced by my youth in Europe. And I developed a business model for bike share for hospitality. So being very hotel-based, mm-hmm. use your hotel room, check out a bike, you know, your hotel room key, check out a bike, that kind of thing. And 
was very passionate about that idea, take, took third in the, in the competition. And I remember a professor afterwards asking me, you know, so you get, you get this prize money and you get all these in-kind services from local firms. He said, so you're going you're gonna to start the business? And I said, oh man, well, I, I, I got to go back to work, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I was in a job yeah. and I just didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready to go out. So following grad school, I still stayed in the corporate world for, you know, a few more years. And I did switch companies and I did go work for some smaller companies thinking that would kind of, you know, be more the direction I wanted to go, but it was still very much the corporate world. So, you know, I, I told you how I, I left the corporate world and then went out on my own to create something. But at that point, my mindset was still create a business. I was still thinking that way. So even though I'm leaving the corporate world and I'm leaving big company or big business, I'm thinking of creating a company. So when, when Liz really helped me kind of had this moment of clarity of combining these two passions, the initial idea was, you know, I want to build a studio. I want to build a production house. And real estate was kind of the attraction. So, okay, what are we going to offer? We're going to offer still photography and perhaps video and perhaps you know, augmented reality or virtual reality, or really get into the tour space. These are scalable business models. If you're going to try and go do all this stuff yourself, you're going to spin out of control and go crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and there are people who try it, but <laughs> but the, the models that really work are are become firms and they have several people. You know, there may be a team of photographers or a team of videographers or perhaps even a team of retouchers. And you start building this production company. So for the first year and a half, I'm out there photographing real estate listings. And that took off quite quickly because I I had a network of real estate agents in my personal kind of social sphere that I was able to call on. The market was extremely hot. So there was a lot of demand. The available photographers in town were booked out. So I was able to get up and going fast. And it's a volume-based business. So I'm photographing a few listings per day. I mean, sometimes up to five listings per day. So you're, wow. it's, it's a run and gun mentality. Super high volume. Super high volume. And that's the business model. And so a year and a half in, 2014, mid-2014, I'm speaking with a, a business owner in San Diego who owned a virtual tour platform, a software that companies like mine at the time would license to showcase your, you know, your virtual tours you're creating for your clients. And so I'm talking to him and we were, we're just personally, you know, just having a conversation and getting to know one another. And I said, you know, what, what have you been photographing lately? Anything interesting? Any interesting projects you're working on? I said, JC, I've been behind a camera in over two years. And right there, boom, I knew that if I go down this route, this road, I'm going to end up building a company and I'm going to get an environment similar to what really I wanted to get away from. Because I liked being the practitioner. I liked being behind the lens. I liked being in the field. And I kind of a control freak and that I want to do the whole process. I don't want to farm it out. And so I realized that I don't want to create a franchise. I want to get known for my work. So at the time, my company was called Black Bike Productions. And I named it after a black Dutch Opa bike, which which means grandpa bike. You know, kind of picture this upright black steel bike. Comfort, ultimate comfort. Yeah, that you see all around Amsterdam and, you know, throughout Europe. And I named it after that bike because when I was naming the company, the competition was all mile high, you know, virtual tours and 5280 this and everything was kind of Colorado related or the name was kind of related to the service of the company. And so I see this black bike and I'm like, that's what I'm going to name it. It was great because it was memorable. 
But it confused the heck out of people because <laughs> people thought, you know, I was a bicycle manufacturer or a motorcycle company or something like that. But my point is at that, when I had that moment of realization that I want to work as a practitioner and not build a company, you know, and, and be a company man, whether it's, you know, it's my own company, I quickly rebranded all under my name. So I got rid of black bike productions externally mm. in terms of the way I communicate. Now it's my LLC, Black Bike Productions LLC is the name of my company. But I, I market everything under my name. And at that point going forward, I also made this strategic shift that I need to shift away from real estate. Because real estate is not a creative space for photography. It's a documentation space. And it's a volume space and it's a low fee model. So you can, it's, it, you can have a build a very successful business in that industry, but it's a different model. It doesn't, it doesn't complement the way I work or wanted to work. I was going to say, that was going to be my question is how has then the real estate industry forced you to adjust based on your own preferences at this point? Yeah. So the way I, I saw myself working and advancing didn't really fit within that industry, but now I have a year and a half of experience learning. Now I knew the fundamentals of photography when I started this, but I didn't know how to photograph residential interiors. It's a very technical trade. And over a year and a half of learning through multiple listing photo, photo shoots. And like I said, you know, earlier, you can learn anything nowadays online. So I'm, I'm staying up late at night and I'm watching YouTube videos and I'm paying for online tutorials and I'm reaching out to other photographers and I'm learning. Well, with that came an increased body of work that I felt good about. I felt more confident in my capabilities. So I realized I needed to shift and start marketing my photography to architects and interior designers. And, and, and the reason why, and it's two different business models from a photographer's perspective, and there are photographers that will work in both spaces. There's a lot of overlap, but an architectural firm or an interior designer, when they commission a photographer to photograph their work, this is very personal. They've worked on these projects for a year, two years, three years, sometimes many, many years. And the photography is the end of it. It's what brings it all together and it's how they tell their story. So they're highly vested. They're very interested in the photography. So it's a completely different process from the time spent, the collaboration, from a business perspective, the fee. So where I was doing three to five shoots a day in real estate, now I'm doing one to two shoots a week. Yeah, it seems like it's, the, the run and gun is, is sort of, it's like a 180 of the run and gun style. It's a total 180 of the run and gun style. And it's, it's you know, for a realtor, and, and there's less incentive to really invest in this, this very long process of photography because the shelf life of those images are very short. And they also don't have the emotional connection with, with the home, unlike an architect or an interior designer, or even a developer for that matter. And, and, and those three primarily are, are the customer demographics that I work with from, from that point on, a year and a half when I shifted to, to today. But it becomes this, this relationship where the more you work with a designer, the more the two of you understand each other and, and you need each other. You, know, you need their work to document and they need you to, to showcase their work. So that was that was the the big move from to answer your question from kind of production days into soloist sole practitioner and for me 
you know, having a better understanding of myself, how I work, how I want to work, wanting to be more of a, an artist, more of a creative. And ultimately my goal is that for client work, a client commissions me and reaches out to me because they want to, they're attracted to my interpretation of architecture and they're interested in my interpretation of their work to present themselves, but give me full art direction. That's the ideal scenario where they say, you know, we want to hire JC and we're going to send him out. And ideally, if I get to work under my best environment, under the best, you know, the best situation, it's they send me out on assignment. I go, I document, I come back and we go over the results and I showcase them the results. Right. That's when I do my best yeah. work. Now that's, that's very difficult for a lot of clients. A lot of clients, um, you know, you're, I'm a creative representing another creative's work. And, you know, a lot of clients have a very strong vision of how they want their work portrayed and they want to art direct that. And I respect that when that's the case. And there's certainly a number of clients that I work that way and a number of photo shoots that I work that way. But oftentimes in that situation, I'm much more now in a technical role. And they're hiring me because I can technically execute their vision, right? Right. They don't have the technical skills behind the camera or perhaps the post-production skills to bring it all together in post. For me, that's that's less interesting. Yeah, it's less about the artistic side of it and becomes more about the the production side of it, which again, kind of, <laughs> we keep yeah. finding ourselves back in the same place of yeah. how can I kind of really, you know, invest in and nurture this love that I have for photography, but yeah. without getting away from the actual act of feeling connected to what it sounds like, you know, connected to what I'm interested in, which yeah. is the architecture, which is the story. And yep. I could see how that could be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it, what the neat thing now is, is as I grow and I've grown with several clients that have been with me since kind of the beginning, you know, we're getting more and more to that point where it's where they were heavily involved at the beginning. And now it's more, they're just sending me out and I kind of know what they like, you know, and what they don't like. Yeah. And they have a trust. I mean, it's this trust is everything and they, they, they trust me. So yeah, that's kind of, so what is your, you know, ideal kind of this is audio so we don't have you know pretty pictures to yeah yeah. to guide us along the the steps but sure if you were on assignment you know what is that day what's the day in the life of jc look like yeah yeah well there's a few ways to kind of approach this question this one thing is about six months ago i decided to move my work monochromatic Okay. Start presenting my work in black and white and kind of a, perhaps maybe even a risky move given that, you know, I make my living doing commercial work that needs to be, buildings need to be presented in color, mm-hmm. you know, but for me, photography started, like I said, in the, in the dark room with 35 millimeter black and white film. When you go to a two dimensional picture, you're, you're already one step away from reality And then when you strip out color, now you're two steps away from reality into the abstract. And there's something very powerful about that for me, especially with architecture, where you're limiting now to light, shadow, and and form. And again, to this theme of moving away from production house into soloist work, I'm less interested in actually showing you the building. 
like taking you there through my photos. I'm not trying to create a virtual tour of the building that I photographed. And I'm more interested in eliciting a, an emotional response that will trigger some curiosity. You want to learn more. So, I, you know, you almost, I believe, and in, in, for me, it resonates more when you show less. When you try and show everything, mm-hmm. the whole building, for example, it could be too much and the eye can't take it all in. You don't need to show the whole thing. You could show less a vignette or a detail and, and string those all together to kind of tell the story, the narrative. So the ideal way to work would be where I'm getting commissioned to work the way I'm working on my own personal assignments. And that's in black and white. Yeah. So I'm working in black and white. I've also gone back and for a lot of my client work have remastered in black and white for when I'm presenting it. And, and so when I start getting commissions that line up with that aesthetic and, and that, you know, personal interpretation of the work, that w- that's going to be ideal. Mm. And it's happened a little bit, but for the most part, I have to deliver files in color. You know, clients want that. They're used to that. But I also send them the, the remastered versions in black and white. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them to, yeah. you know, em- embrace that. Absolutely, yeah. And architects are great with this. I love working. I love working with all my clients. I've been very blessed to be matched up with great clients. It's just amazing what you know you what you put out in the universe and the way things line up. But I find a lot of my architectural work, it it's typically more where I'm sent out. And then I get to work as like a soloist in the field. Yeah. That's what I love. I don't like to work with an assistant. I found I, I kind of like to teach. So I found when I work with an assistant, I'm teaching them what I'm doing. And so I get distracted and it becomes less efficient. And a lot of times, a lot of assistants in the industry are, are you know, they're aspiring photographers. So yeah. they, they go assist. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so they're asking questions. And then I, you know, next thing you know, I'm helping. And so I've decided um, a while ago, and I, I, I did work with assistants for a little bit, and I just thought this is, this is not effective for the way I work. So I, I prefer not to work with assistants that's the ideal situation. Yeah, I was going to say, that yeah. sounds very ideal. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the, it, the harder situation for me is, and this is more common with interior design firms, is where now we're in a, a tethered situation where the camera is tethered to a laptop and every composition is just highly analyzed and criticized and we're styling and we're staging and we're working for a significant amount of time, I mean, sometimes up to two hours on one, you know, one photo, one interior image. And there's a part of me that enjoys that collaboration. And there's, and then there's another part of me that really dislikes it because while I'm locked into this, the light may change or I may see a moment in another part of the space that I want to go, yeah, go work on. That's tough. So I'm much more of a, um, what's very common in this field are highly technical photographers who get very into the lighting and into all different sides of the technical aspect of the craft. I'm not that. I'm much more a capture photographer. I'm more interested in working with the light and the shadow. So ideally, if I'm, and and this is more common in residential work, but if if there's a, a home, ideally that home is styled and staged exactly like the way the designer wants it. And then they give me a day or two to go in there and I can just work the light mm. as opposed to going in and having to tear up the house and 
And because a lot of these photo shoots, they turn into like moving day. It's unbelievable. Sure. Furniture is coming in and out and yeah. artworks being swapped out and, and all kinds of things. And that process is, is less meaningful to me. It's one reason why more of my work is biased towards buildings. And that's more of my, my passion. And with buildings, there's less of that. And I can focus more on the environment and the building and the light and the people interacting with mm-hmm. the building. That's what I start to get really kind of interested in. So when I self-assign my own work, which is really important, by the way, I, I, I split my time between commercial work or client work and personal work. I never fill my month up with client work the entire month. Yeah, I'm always leaving days open for my personal projects. And I don't know if I read this somewhere. I don't know if someone told me this, but you become what you show, you become what you shoot. And it was very important for me. And it also heard that you end up getting the types of commissions, your, your personal work ends up delivering you the types of commissions that you're seeking. I was going to come back and, and put, a, put a pin in that because yeah. this wasn't part of our anything that we've talked about so far, but, yeah. but I think that's so important. And, and yeah. if there are any students listening or any kind of up and comers, doing work for yourself is so important. So important. And, and I can't, overemphasize that enough. It sounds like you can't either. Mm -hmm. And even from the last decade of my design life, I think of illustrators like uh, Jesse Ledeau, who who started just doing band posters because he loved Mm -hmm. to illustrate and he ended up working for major record labels and he became Mm -hmm. really well known for that type of work. Aaron Draplin, Mm -hmm. big, big designer, just loved designing logos. Right. Skate, snowboard culture, that's what he felt connected to. So he yeah. just did a bunch of that stuff on his own. And yeah. you know, one thing leads, leads to another. And like you said, it's funny how things line up Sure, for artists, for illustrators, for designers, for photographers, mm-hmm. kind of these creative fields that I think it's easy to go into them and kind of get lost. Yeah, And I love the message that you have here that revolves around, you know, kind of find it for yourself and figure out what that is and, yeah. and keep doing it. Keep keep learning and keep stamping it out. It's it's so important. I can't emphasize it enough. And it's been a game changer in, in my work. And I've done it since day one. And it, it's just a commitment I've made that I'm always going to be out photographing whether I'm hired or not. One, because I truly enjoy it. Yeah. I really do. And and it's hard. I mean it it is it's very, very hard. And and I'm a, a long ways away from mastering this field. And and you know there's many who I admire in the field who are, are significantly older. It's a profession that you continue to grow and get better in, which is a thing I love. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope, like I said, to be able to do this the rest of my life. And with that, my, my personal projects and everything that I do, self-assigned work, it aligns with, with where I also have my, you know, my, my client work focused. It, it aligns. It's all architecture. And that's what I show. Yeah. Now I go out and photograph landscapes and I photograph other things that are interesting to me. And I will put little teasers out there, let's say in Instagram stories or something. But I'm also very mindful around the brand that I've worked so hard to build and that I'm building around architecture. So I don't want to dilute that or take away from that or create confusion. You know, that's another thing. Younger photographers will reach out to me. And we will go grab coffee and I will sit down with anybody. I'm 100% transparent. I'll I'll share my contracts, pricing, the things I've learned, because I've learned so much from people giving away information online and whatnot. 
But I always say, you know, I believe the days of working as a generalist in almost any field are pretty much over. There's examples out there, but it's hard. Yeah. And and you need to to specialize. And and for me, I just I, I fell into that when I had that moment of clarity. Just like I love photography and I love, you know, architecture. Mm. And that's gonna be my specialty. Mm. I think had I realized that when I was maybe more in high school, maybe I would have gone off to study film and photography. But at that time, my awareness, and I think about awareness a lot, my awareness of photography was wedding photographers and portrait photographers. That's, 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 I thought that was the industry. That's the mainstream media of what photography is, right? Exactly. And, and, you know, while we're exposed to images all day long of all different types, I just thought that was the only option, you know, commercially or to make a living, neither of which appealed to me. Wedding photography just seemed like an anxiety nightmare for me that I would just be so freaked out by. And, and same with portraiture. And so, you know, I went, I went a different direction. And, and, you know, when Liz said real estate and your interest in photography, I was like, oh my God. Mind, mind blown. <laughs> mind blown. Yeah. But, but so important to kind of like stick with, with your message. Yeah. I agree. I, I love that. I love yeah. that message. And I yeah. think it's really important. Yeah. I guess to, to pigtail off of that, you, have mentioned something to me offline that relates to your passion mm-hmm. of photography, of architecture. And the way you worded it was, I wrote it down here. You feel like you have a specific job or role within the industry. And a big piece of that puzzle for you is education yeah. and social sharing. Yeah. Why is that so important? Yeah. So I think, you know, my, my whole business background was in marketing and sales. It was communications. It was promotion. It was, it was, advocacy and it's ingrained in me sharing marketing promoting introducing making connections if i wasn't what i'm doing now i think i would really enjoy being a teacher you know i I like sharing photography is a perfect medium for sharing and it's it's meant to be shared i believe and we live in this time i i i I think we live in the golden era of photography. Now, older photographers would disagree, ones that come from big, large commercial budgets of the film days or whatnot. But when I was in high school, for example, and we would develop prints, we would have to do shows. It was the only way we can share. Now I have a website that's in a blog format. I'm on social media, and I can constantly share and promote this work. And my... You know, I've thought about this a lot. I, I, I used to write, like take Instagram, for example. I used to write little narratives on, on the buildings that I would post. I'd spend a lot of time on them. And I found myself being kind of giving a little history, telling about the designer and telling maybe a few things that I liked about the building. But I never criticized the architecture. Or I never, you know, I view my role as I'm not a photo. I'm not a, an architectural critic or an architectural journalist. There are other people significantly more qualified to fit those roles. And they're important. We need to be critiquing things that we do and design. But I didn't see my role as that. I saw my role as more, I'm, I'm on a, I want to share and promote what, what I love and what I think is great in buildings. And buildings are a fascinating thing if you think about them. And m- most people, I'd argue, don't, especially outside of the design industry. We're in a building right now. We live our whole lives in buildings. We're born in buildings. We work in buildings. We live in buildings. We heal in buildings. And we all have experienced 
great design, whether we know it or not, because we all can understand the feeling of walking into a space and it feels really good. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is cool. As opposed to a space that just feels terrible. And this brings up another point, you know, working in the corporate world. I'm so sensitive to space, even, you know, before this, this work that I'm doing now. And I couldn't stand working in those cubicles. <laughs> I couldn't stand going to the client offices that I was going to in, in these, these conference rooms and boardrooms and this, these, these environments that just didn't feel good. So I view my role as more of sharing and promoting, sparking that interest. And so when, you know, from a client work, my pictures are effective if they're using them to market and advertise. Because like, what's the purpose of marketing and advertising? Like, you know, spark interest, like create awareness and spark curiosity. And so now, oh, well, you know, we want to talk to this firm or wow, we're really, this building's interesting. We want to learn more. And so, you know, clients, that's very important to them. And photographs are a very powerful way. I believe, you know, going back to golden era of photography, we all have seen the statistics of how much, how many photos are shared on a daily basis, right? It's crazy. Mm. We take in more photos, I think, like in a day than the human person would in an entire lifespan 100 years ago or something like that. You know, tons of different stats. But the more photos that are out there, the more effective they become because our, our attention span is so short and yeah. so easily distracted. And what's the classic saying? A photograph is worth a thousand words. <laughs> you can digest it so quickly. It's amazing. And it remains super powerful. And I find going back with sharing, I put this work out there and dialogues just start. And it's really, really neat. And it's been a total game changer in the way social media has allowed me to share my work. And of I'm photographing other people's work. So it allows me to share my interpretation of their work. And then these these conversations just just develop. It's highly rewarding. Yeah, and that didn't happen ten years ago or twenty years ago. Certainly, no. The, the internet has opened up quite a few doors for collaboration, communication, sharing. It's been a, a total game changer. I would say about a year into working, you know, in this business, I found myself the first year I thoroughly enjoyed the solitude of running my own shop. And, you know, if I didn't want to shower one day, I didn't have to, you know, or whatever, or let my beard grow. Actually, the first couple of years, I grew my hair real long down to my shoulders because I'd always been in the corporate environment with a clean hair haircut. Yeah, that'll show them, right? And so I was like, I'm out of my own now, you know? And it was great. But my point is I found myself starting to get lonely. I was too isolated. And I was losing, I was, my basic social skills were diminishing. It was, it was crazy. And I realized that my, I was off balance. So while in the corporate world, I was, I was off balance in the introvert side of me, I was being forced to be exposed too much and it was exhausting. I was tired all the time where now I was alone too much and social media really changed that because I started to share my photos and I didn't do this right away when I started the business. This wasn't like it started right away. It was more a year in. And I started sharing my photos and primarily, mostly my self-work, my self-assigned work and personal projects. And not only would I share photos, I just didn't get online, whether it was Instagram or Facebook at the time, which I'm not on anymore, but with Instagram or Twitter, or LinkedIn, you know, it's social media for a reason. It's, you socialize, right? So I would start reaching out to other photographers and start building these online relationships and other architects. And next thing you know, 
it, my direct message inbox on Instagram is constantly, I have 10 conversations going on. Mm. And a lot of it started out with trying to de- develop peers because I missed that. You know, I didn't have the, the break room where I could go, you know, bitch about some clients with my colleagues yeah. or complain about a new policy that came down or, or whatever. And now online, I found these, these colleagues that we could compare notes and, and build friendships. And matter of fact, I, I travel a lot. And whenever I'm in a new city, I'll think about who I'm connected with online in that city. And I'll reach out and say, hey, I'm, I'm in town. Love to grab coffee with you if you're available yeah, or great. even if it's a quick hello. And it's totally happened. Yeah. It's been remarkable. That's great. So the, you know, that, that ability to, to share and promote and market and build relationships online has been a total game changer for anybody that's going to work as a soloist. Because while I may operate as a lone wolf in a lot of ways, I think it's very dangerous to be out there all by yourself. Mm. And I also need community and need friendships and, and you know, relationships and, and colleagues. And I think that is, I think if I hadn't had that or was able to develop that, this experiment of going out on my own may have failed. That's helped sustain it. Yeah, for sure. JC, before we wrap up here, I, I want to kind of dive into the brain while I have you here because yeah. you are the knowledge source on this, on this podcast. Tell me how the average person, Jane Doe, yeah. John Doe, let's call them John or Jane, how can they start to open their eyes and appreciate the built environment around them? We've talked yeah. a lot about that on the podcast. Yeah. We alluded to a few times that, that people kind of miss it. They don't even see it, yeah. even though they're in it all the time. Where does anyone yeah. begin? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've mentioned the word awareness a few times, and it all starts with awareness and becoming more aware. I mean, I'm a John Doe. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a John in, in this, this example. I know very little about architecture. I, I, I mean, I study it like crazy, but I don't have an academic background in architecture. My background's in business. But I observe like crazy. And I think it kind of dates back to my childhood. Also, just the practice of slowing down. We as a culture, especially in America and throughout the West and other parts of the world, we are moving so fast. We are missing so many things and just slowing down and and taking in your environment. And I believe the best examples of architecture anywhere around the world, and, and especially in the United States, is our public buildings. And, you know, I would encourage listeners, if you're inspired at all by by what we're talking about today, go check out a museum in your area or here in Denver, go to one of the Denver museums. I think the museums are such a great example of the power of, of architecture. You know, Denver is not widely known for its architecture. However, we have some amazing buildings that stand out in the world right here in our little town. One of the most highly sought after architects in the world is a man named um, David Adjay. And he designed our Museum of Contemporary Arts, first U.S. commission. And it's a great feeling building. You know, go there and see how it feels. One thing I'd recommend is their their rooftop deck. You know, we have rooftop decks all over the city, right? It's yeah. like the thing. But for some reason, the museum's deck is highly underrated and, and you always can get a seat up there. And it just feels good. Yeah. And that's design. Yeah. That's that's good building. That's a great example that I, I you know, is Red Rocks Amphitheater. I just love this example. Red Rocks to me is such a great space, you know. Even the musicians and the traveling bands, 
I love seeing a show there because they're so excited to be there. They all talk about it. They all mention it. I mean, can you imagine the life of a musician and just from city to city to city, the, the whole world starts to look the same. And, and that's a big problem in, in, in cities around the world. They, they do all kind of look the same and starting to look the same. And Red Rocks, here it is, you know, built into the, into the rock and into the landscape, a totally unique experience. Every time I go there, I have such a, a special experience with music and the architecture of that place is, I mean, plays a major role. Yeah. There's, there's no question, you know? So I think, I think just slowing down, taking in your environment, really taking note to how you feel in spaces and then compare it to how you feel maybe in your own home or, or your office and, and understanding like, why is that? You know, why does this feel better? The space I feel, I think feels so good is our union station. Mm. So union station, as you know, has been recently redeveloped over the last few years and you walk in there and it's just bright and airy and feels really good and inviting. And it's been a major success and cities have studied it all over, all around the country. I don't know if you remember what it felt like before. I do. It was very, <laughs> it, you didn't want to go in there. Before. No, it was creepy. It yeah. was creepy and it, and, and it just, it didn't feel good. And, you know, structurally the place didn't change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same shell, it's the same windows. But, but it felt dark. It but felt it felt dark. A little dirty. It felt kind of maybe dangerous. Yeah. Like a little unsafe in there. Yeah. Uh, part of it, uh, you know, I think is the neighborhood has changed so much too. But yeah. to your point, you didn't want to go there. No. And, and, and that's the importance of architecture, you know. And I break, it, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. It's that simple. And I judge with not being an academic in this space and, and you know, I judge everything. I view myself as kind of an outsider. A lot of photographers, by the way, that work as architectural photographers are architects, or they had previous careers as architects and, and transitioned to, into architecture. And so a lot of times when I go up against another architectural photographer, their selling point is, I'm an architect, I know what I'm looking at, kind of thing. And my selling point is, I'm not an architect, I don't know what I'm looking <laughs> at, and that's why it matters, right? right? You know, I don't, I don't get hung up over a difficult facade or difficult corner or a cantilevered section that was engineered, you know, was very difficult to engineer because I don't have a knowledge of that. I'm more moved by the way the space feels. Yeah. And I judge everything that I'm not familiar with based on how it makes me feel. And, and that, that would be the ultimate walk away. I mean, you know, you don't need to be knowledgeable about architecture. It's more listen to how does it make you feel when you're in and around these spaces an ongoing challenge for a lot of designers is, and I've had this conversation with numerous people lately, is over the last 20, 30 years, the adaptive reuse of old buildings, like the one we're in right now, has been very, you know, it's been very popular. And I think it's great. I'm a huge fan of adaptive reuse when we talk about Union Station. But there's been a, a value engineering mentality where these spaces are very unfinished and very raw. For an aesthetic that is very popular, but one of the negative consequences to it is they're very loud and the acoustics are very poor. Mm-hmm. And how many restaurants or, or breweries have you been in where you just, you can't hear? And I don't know if it's me getting older, <laughs> I'm going to be 40 next year, if that's starting to happen, but that's design. That's architecture. Yeah. That's one way a person without a knowledge of any of these things from the outside can start paying attention to. And the more we're aware, the more we're going to demand better design. 
and better places. There's places around the world, you know, a lot of designers look to the Scandinavian countries and they love the design and architecture and life. Scandinavian countries are known for their design. And I would argue there's just an increased awareness up there. Yeah, absolutely. Of design. JC, I really appreciate your insight into yeah. design, business, personal projects, I think is a huge thing. We always like to ask a final question, and that is, who else should we be paying attention to that yeah. you are drawn to? Inspiring, groundbreaking, pivotal work. Sure. The mic is yours. With the theme being photography, I'm going to focus on another photographer. His name's Ewan Bon, I-W-A-N-B-A-A-N. He's in his mid-40s. He's a Dutch photographer, and I'm just fascinated by him as a person and his work. He um, is... I would bet or have to imagine he is the number one most sought after photographer in the industry. And he travels the world, lives like a digital nomad, works for all the very large firms that are designing, you know, the most remarkable modern day buildings around the world. And then also does a lot of his own social self-driven projects of, you know, people in Venezuela living in abandoned buildings that were never completed and turning them into communities and whatnot. But what's fascinating about the way he works is he has a photojournalist background. And so he photographs architecture like a photojournalist, meaning it's constantly in the context of the environment. So the building often at times is in the background of the image and in the foreground are people interacting in and around the building, or perhaps it's you know somewhere in Asia or India and it's a very modern building and you see slums in the foreground and you see the context of the architecture. Mm. And oftentimes it's not pretty. And oftentimes it's the grid, the grid and the reality of urban life, of built cities. And he does it in a way that's extremely effective and it, it just elicits this emotional response. His work is fascinating to follow on social media because on social media, he doesn't post any of his commissioned work. It's all iPhone photos, just diary photos. And it's, it just kind of takes me back to days of like Life Magazine. It's just mm. like one big, big photo essay. Yeah. But the man has become kind of a publication in himself, and he's going back to awareness. You know, people hire him because of his work, but also because of his reach. And so many people become aware of, of what he photographs because he has such a strong following. And he has TED Talks and, and whatnot. So I would encourage anybody with the interest in everything we're talking about to, to follow his yeah. work. I'm inspired by it because he rejects the notion of a tightly cropped building, you know, photographed perfectly, highly retouched, kind of this commercial effect that's popular in every industry. And he shows it, you know, the way it is yeah. unapologetically. And it's a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do. And it's a hard thing to do from like almost this editorial approach, but yet be used and demanded at a commercial level. So in a way, you know, artists talk a lot about, you know, this, this notion of selling out. He's been able to, I, I guess you could argue, he hasn't sold out. He's been able to kind of stick with his approach and also match that to a very successful career in business. Yeah. So I have a ton of admiration for that. Well, for listeners, we're going to link that in the show notes for sure. So if you're, uh, if you're not um, already up with the show notes pulled up on your browser, pop over there. Instagram slash Ewan Bon is actually the, yep. the link there. So yeah. um, that'll be in there. JC, before we go, what can the world do 
to, to stay in touch, to keep in touch, to become social with you. Yeah. So please, please do. I'm, I'm on all the social platforms minus Facebook. Okay. I went on Facebook a few years ago. I felt my personal life was a little too exposed on that platform. Um, but I very openly share my, my architectural work. Instagram is probably the most active. I post literally daily on Instagram. I'm also very approachable and, and I socialize on Instagram like crazy. I, I find it to be a lot of fun. Um, kind of a depressing statistic as you know, the iPhone does the screen time yeah. now and Instagram is often my most consumed screen time item. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy. But if you're on other platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm on both of those and, and active on those as well. Everything is under my name, JC Buck, B-U-C-K. And then lastly, my website. Uh, I recently converted my website into a publication format. I wanted to get away from having a static portfolio. And this whole idea of sharing, I thought to myself, you know, I do all this sharing on social media, you know, someone else's platform, and I don't do anything on my website. And my website's always outdated, you know? And I thought, I need to also be doing this here on my website. And, you know, one thing we haven't, I haven't talked about is I, I also like to write. And so on my website, I'm now, like I said, it's kind of treating it like a blog, a publication, and I'm adding words in there. And it's often just very short journal-like entries, which is a little bit of information about the photo, my experience with, with that, the subject, whatever it may be. And then I will often link to more information, you know, link it off to the experts who really dive deeper into maybe the architectural details of the building or whatever it may be. So I'd encourage people to check out my website as well. There's, there's a subscribe feature. Um, I don't blast out emails. I'll occasionally do an update kind of thing, but it's a ever-changing website. Fantastic. And that's yeah. jcbuck.com. jcbuck.com. Yeah. Perfect. JC. Thanks again so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. This was great. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic Form and Function, the digital design and development team that just might be a perfect fit for your next urban project. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at authenticff.com slash transforming cities, or you can simply subscribe through your favorite apps, including iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for joining us.